start in a couple of seconds. So I'll just go through the intro and then I'll introduce myself and then we'll uh, get into it. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Great Things with Great Tech, the podcast highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. My name's Anthony Spiteri, and in this episode, we're talking to a company that provides simple, predictable, and affordable cloud storage to businesses all over the world, a company that enables organizations to store and access an unlimited amount of data at lower prices than competitive platforms without complexity or unpredictable charges, a company that has been recognized as one of the fastest growing and most visionary companies in its space, securing nearly $275 million in funding to date, a company that wants to be faster than the fastest and cheaper than the cheapest. That company is Wasabi. I'm talking to David Friend, CEO and co-founder at Wasabi. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Excellent. So great to have you on. Just before we get into everything Wasabi, um, I'm just going to do a quick call out to the show and also uh, pay a little bit of homage to the fact that we're at episode 50 here at Great Things with Great Tech. Um, but firstly, if you love Great Things with Great Tech and would like to feature in future episodes, um, you can click on the link on the show notes or go to gtwgt.com and register your interest. And just as a reminder, all episodes of the podcast are up on Spotify, Google, Apple, all distributed and hosted by anchor.fm. And lastly, just before we get into it, as mentioned, this is episode number 50 for GTWGT. I'm really happy to have Wasabi on because I've been, like I said, chasing uh, them for a while. But I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has helped get the podcast to episode 50, um, all the great people and all the great companies that we've had on previously. Um, and obviously in the future, you've been a great support and looking forward to the rest of the episodes. And with that, let's get into episode 50 with Wasabi. And, and David, it's a company that you and your co-founder, Jeff Flower, started in 2015. Um, but you guys actually were involved in another pretty successful storage company, Carbonite, before that. Um, so this isn't your first venture. So maybe give a little bit of background about yourself, uh, where you came from, because I know obviously you didn't start in the world of software. Um, and then what led you up to, I guess, getting into storage, Carbonite, and then Wasabi? Yeah. No, in fact, my undergraduate degree from college was in music composition but I quickly determined I was never gonna survive as a composer, so I went to grad school in engineering. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got into software uh, back uh, back in the very early days of sort of the Apple II. I, I taught myself how to program. So my my uh, education is in electrical engineering, not computer science. Um, and I've had a string of software companies that have all been successful and Carbonite, as you know, uh, became a public company and, and mm. ultimately sold for 1.5 billion. Wow! Yep. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and before that, I mean, when you were in the electrical engineering space, because I think Carbonite, for memory, was founded in, in the in the mid 2000s. I mean, what was the lead up to that? Like, what what were you really focused on, sort of in those? Because you've gone through some pretty um, exciting periods of time in computing, right? So, you know, leading into that that sort of post uh, dot com, what were you doing with yourself? Well, we've been, you know, Jeff and I, uh, Jeff Flowers, my co-founder and the genius behind uh, the Wasabi architecture, uh, we've been in one form or another, been in, in data storage uh, and databases for a long, long time. Uh, even before Carbonite, we uh, launched a company called Pilot Software that created what's called a multi-dimensional database, which was a, 
a database that allowed uh, big retailers like Burger King and JCPenney and so forth to slice and dice, uh, you know, sales data, very large amounts of, of retail sales data at very high speeds. So we've been doing storage for a long time. And in fact, even before I met Jeff back in the 1980s, wow. uh, he was working on databases at uh, Prime Computer, which was a big mini computer manufacturer here in, in New England. So he's a, he's a database guy from a long, long time ago. And the uh, very, very complicated technology that makes Wasabi possible uh, really couldn't be done without those many years of experience and all the mistakes that you make in your previous <laughs> companies. Yeah, and uh, but that said, I mean, it sounds like you guys have just been had success after success and done some some really cool things in in the area of technology as it's evolved. And um, you know, Carbonite was was a great success. I definitely watched that company uh, from from afar. Um, I did use the technology, and I used some of the, I believe, some of the acquisition technology as well at times. So you know, I'm very um, in tune with that. But yeah, moving into Wasabi. So I guess after Carbonite was was sold or went public, and I guess you made some sort of exit, you decided to, to start all this again. Um, so what what made you start Wasabi? What was the you know the founding principles um, and the mission statement that sort of or the problem statement that made you go, let's start another company like Wasabi. Well, the opportunity we saw was you know if you look back ten years, all the world's data was stored on prem. If you look forward 10 years, most people think all the world's data is going to be stored in the cloud. Um, and all the world's data is, you know, according to IDC, is something like 120 zettabytes of, of data every year. And, you know, a zettabyte is a million petabytes. It's a big number. And, That's well, a big number. <laughs> yeah. And at our bargain price of $6 per terabyte per month, if we were storing all the world's data, it would be a $13 trillion market opportunity right and, okay uh, so we looked at that and we said boy this is a, a once in a generation tidal shift of moving all the world's data from on-prem to the cloud and we have an opportunity here to build a very large and important company that is you know basically the world's best cloud storage vendor and it, no matter what you have to store whether it's a surveillance video from uh, from the streets of perth or uh, backups for thousands of companies or uh, telescopes from in Chile sending you pictures of the night sky. Everything needs to be stored and the amount of storage is growing so fast year over year that uh, you know we're getting this rising tide lifting all the boats. So we just said, look, we're not going to Amazon, Google and Microsoft are kind of like the department store. Yep. And you know, the department stores haven't put Nike and Adidas and New Balance out of business. So, you know, you can buy a pair of running shoes at, at a department store, but if you're a serious runner, you're going to go to a specialty shop. That's and, a, it's uh, a great analogy. I, I, I love that analogy and it absolutely works in the, in the context of, you know, what you're talking about. So, yeah, that's a brilliant way to look at it. And, you know, these big guys don't scare me because no matter how big you are, you can't be best at everything. Yeah. And so, you know, when say, how can you compete with Amazon? Well, if you have enough money and you get up every morning and you focus on doing one thing really well, and our one thing is storage, if you yeah. focus on doing one thing really well, you can do it better than the other guys. So, you know, today, uh, Wasabi is $6 per terabyte per month. And 
it Amazon is $23 per terabyte per month for S3. Mm. And with every release of Wasabi, we get faster and faster and faster. And we're putting more and more daylight between Wasabi's performance and Amazon's performance. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that by the time they wake up and decide that Wasabi's actually is a threat, uh, we'll be so far ahead of them on technology, they'll never be able to catch up. I absolutely love your like your enthusiasm and your confidence around what you've done and and, and your mission statement, you know, so that that single minded focus is is very plain to see. So, you know, now that I, I've, I mean, I've known about you guys for a number of years, um, since you since you first really popped up. And did you did you first launch a actual was the service first launched um, in about 2017? Or was there something pre that like, because you had the hot storage? Um, was was the product first released in 2017? Or was there something before that as you were kind of rolling in 2015, 16? Or was that just development years? No, we just, uh, we launched the product, you know, the same product that we have today. It wasn't as fast as it was, as it is back then, but, you know, with each release, it gets faster and faster. And when we re released Wasabi, we only had one data center in the U.S. And now yep. we have data centers all over the world. Yep. And, uh, you know, and our strategy has been to raise a lot of money and expand as fast as possible. So, you know, just since Christmas this year, uh, we've moved into London, Paris, Frankfurt, Toronto, Singapore, Sydney. Yeah. I've probably forgotten one or two others. Yeah. Well, actually, funny enough, I just uh, looked at, at their console. And I just w went through the drop down, and it has definitely expanded in terms of the places where I can create um, storage buckets. So it's no doubt that you guys are expanding. This just, I was just actually always interested, just before we get too deep into sort of more of the theory around data and the why, where did the name come from? Um, obviously, everyone loves a bit of wasabi. Um, I, I love my sushi. I love wasabi. Um, some people, you know, think it's a bit hot, but yeah, where did the name come from? What was the sort of genesis of that? Well, picking a company name is, is one of those things. It's probably the most important decision you'll make when you're starting a new business. And there are a lot of terrible company names out there that you can't spell, you can't pronounce them, see them <laughs> or you can't remember them. And when we saw Wasabi, we just said, you know, we're hot cloud storage. Wasabi is hot. And uh, it's a memorable name, uh, you know, people like it all over the world. And uh, so we just said, that is our name. You know, it just, it just jumped out at us Beautiful. after considering over 200 other names. Yeah, I can, I can, I, I talked to, well, a lot of the, uh, I've obviously had 50 great companies on, on the show and everyone's got a slightly different story about how their company formed. Some would be the city name or their, their um, daughter came up with it, but. This is absolutely linked to the hotness of the storage, wasabi. I get it. It works beautifully. So there you go. That, that's, that's a good link. And, and it, it just rolls off the tongue as well. So good, good story there. I do like it. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, that problem statement that you were looking to solve and, and how you basically managed to compete with, with the juggernauts, you know, with the big guys. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of a, of challenging those guys as well. I've, my history is in working for service providers who have been challenged by those those big conglomerates, but still seem to do pretty well um, even in today's because they, like you said, if, if you can focus on doing your job right and doing what you do really well, you can still win business. Um, so you've mm -hmm. obviously focused on that, but what, what made you th actually think that, you know, you could actually 
go and say, okay, we're going to do S3 compatible storage. We're going to offer it cloud-based. It's going to be delivered in that way. So we're not even going to go down the on-prem um, road, but we're also going to do it differently by not charging egress or for API, which is a huge, huge um, bugbear for a lot of people that consume those public clouds. So what was the theory around that? So I'm a nut on simplicity. And, you know, nobody can figure out their Amazon bills. Absolutely uh, not. You know, there are, <laughs> there are consultancies out there that make their living by going in and helping people figure out what their Amazon, how to read their Amazon bills. That should tell and you enough. Company... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I learned a long time ago that if you want to sell something through the channels, uh, a channel partner has, you know, it's typically carrying 50 or 100 different products. They don't have time to learn all the intricacies of, of billing a, a complicated bill. And the customers want to know how much this is going to cost them before they buy it. Yeah. And if you charge, you know, most people know how much data they have, so they can figure that part out. But nobody who's migrating from on-prem to the cloud knows how much egress they're doing. They don't know how often their applications touch the data. Mm -hmm. And Amazon charges you for every little thing. They not only charge you for egress, but they charge you every time you do an API call, yep. list, delete, get, or put. And, and so you get these bills and you know the bill says, okay, you're got $14,000 for API calls. Well, how did I, you know, I, I have no idea how I incurred $14,000 worth of API calls. Yeah. And to that end, you know that, like you said, the application will do things in certain ways. There'll be tons of, well, there might be millions of small calls. There might be, you know, not as many bigger calls. And so you've really got no control of the application in theory, unless you've got control, but that adds a whole nother level of complication to the application that you're developing or that you're picking up off the shelf. Right. Um, so you're right. The complexity of that level is is tremendous, and I've obviously seen that firsthand as well. With in in my area where I work, so not having to worry about that part at least makes the right. value proposition significantly more attractive than what people are getting through the public clouds. Yeah. I mean, if you get an Amazon bill, it can go on for pages. Uh, Wasabi bill has one line item, which is the amount of storage you have multiplied by, you know, $5.99 or whatever yeah. uh, price you're, you're negotiating. Yeah. And, and I think that speaks to cloud scale, right, as well. Like that, that is real cloud scale because I don't think you can scale correctly if you're worried about bills and, you know, how much it's going to cost. I think everyone had this perception of the public cloud you know, especially the, the big guys like the Amazons, the Googles and, and the Microsofts that it was a panacea. It was going to be the way. Um, I think a lot of the world has has come back quite significantly and you know, companies like yours are definitely making that more reality because I think they understand that cloud scale, um, elasticity, you know, you need to understand exactly, you, you want to be growing without the worry of being charged tremendously right that's not what elasticity is about for mine anyway so yeah. you need to basically be given the amount of data and expectation of what it is with an expectation with an expectation of growth not a worry of growth yeah i mean i did uh, i did some interviews with some companies that had suffered ransomware losses and uh and i'm i, I was asking them i said well you know, why didn't your backups work? Why couldn't you just restore all your backups? And in some cases, it was because the ransomware guys had figured out how to destroy their backups. And in other cases, 
There were people who just, they didn't test their backups because every time they tested them, they had to egress all this data out of Amazon and they get a, you know, $17,000. That's huge, on. isn't it? Yeah. Not testing and too afraid, you know, and it, and to me, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel right to have to pay to get your own data back. You know, there's just, there's something about it that just really bugs me. So <laughs> when we started with Dobby, I just said, look, you know, people store their data with Wasabi. That's what we're going to charge for. And, and that's the value they'll get from us. If they want to take their data back, if they want to take all their data and go away and take their data to some other cloud, they shouldn't have to pay for that. Yeah. And if I can't, you know, Amazon and, and the others, I think they use these egress fees as a, as a way to lock in their customers. And That's you know, correct. once you move the data in, you know, if you want to move a data out, uh, data out of Amazon at uh, ninety dollars per terabyte, you know, if you've got a petabyte of data, if you say, "Gee, I want to take all my data and move it to Wasabi," you know, that's a big bill. That is a big bill. Um, that's the uh, that's the Hotel California problem, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what we, that's what we've, I know that our VMware, we're very big in saying that a few years ago, right? Like AWS is hotel, but they're all, they're all friendly now, obviously <laughs> given what's happened. But back then that's where I first heard it. You know, you, you can come in, but you can never leave. Um, that, that's definitely it. Um, in turn, and, that, and that adds to, I think, value and risk in the cloud as well. Um, uh, th there is sort of a idea that, you know, data is, has become a commodity and, commoditizing or to making it a utility utilities have different price components but i think more and more as a consumer you just want to get that one bill like you said with a one line item and know what it is if it's electricity if it's water if it's storage that's where it's going so i mean that's pretty much it right you're, you're effectively commoditizing the commoditized asset more yeah i mean uh, i'm here in new england and new england is full of these old brick factories where they used to make cotton and shoes and things and in the 19th century, every one of those factories had its own electric generating plant out back. And, you know, you would never do that today, right? So nice. it's, it's, become, it's become a utility. And storage is storage. And, you know, sh people shouldn't have to own a room full of storage equipment because the, the result is no different than if you owned uh, a room full of somebody else's storage equipment or if you moved it to the cloud. There's no need today and no advantage to owning a room full of, of EMC or NetApp storage servers or something like that. It, it should just be like electricity or bandwidth. You know, you, you've got some data to store. Well, you just plug in here and somebody up in the cloud takes care of it for you. Mm. So I've got, yeah, that that's true. And I've got a little bit of a, you know, reciprocal question to that in terms of, so some people obviously, you know, data sovereignty and, and kind of want that on-premises storage still. And that, that's kind of a mindset of quite a few people, so, or a few organizations. So when you're talking to those companies that you've got someone who goes, hey, look, we got to store everything on site. We, we just can't go off site. Like, how do you start to turn them around? What, what's your strategy there? I'm, I'm just interested. Well, uh, I mean, there's some good reasons to keep data on site. And, and one of the reasons we have data centers all over the world now is that, you know, if I want to store healthcare data from a hospital in, in Perth, I have to have a data center in Australia. Yeah. But, you know, for even more local, there, there's still reasons to keep a copy, to keep your data on site. But good practices said you should back, your, back that data up to some place that's off site. 
because you know if the building burns down, you don't want to lose all your data. So Absolutely. we're we're happy to have the second copy. In fact, I prefer having the second copy. And almost by definition, half the world's data is backups and and disaster. that way. Yeah, who would have thought? You know, eh? Who would have thought that backup I, would if be I can get half the world's data? I'll be a very happy guy. Yeah, what was that like? What was that? Sixty-seven zettabytes. Yeah, so only six trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, count me in. Um, so so, so that's to, what I tell them. I tell them, yeah. look, you know, you 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 got to have a second copy offsite somewhere, and with us, it's encrypted. It's professionally managed. You know, nobody's ever broken in. Uh, if they could break in, there's nothing to see because everything is encrypted in a very complex way. Yeah. So, you know, for, for your offsite copy of your data, we, we're probably your best bet. Yeah. And then, and just on that as well, like, I guess, you know, talking about the, you know, that's the why, and in terms of what, what they're getting, like, you know, and up to 80% cost reduction on say something comparable in AWS, no egress, no API. Um, you've got the APR S3 compatibility, you've still got the durability, the 11.9s, you've still got the immutability. So from a feature perspective, and obviously these things have come like immutability has come in, in more recent times. And then you've got the regionality. So you've got the spread and the options. So from a one-to-one -one basis, if someone's looking at it and going, okay, why would I choose a public cloud or Wasabi? And then I look, oh, 80% cost reduction. Holy moly, what's, what's the catch? Um, how, how do you achieve... Well, without going into the secrets, because obviously a lot of it is is the brilliant IP and engineering that you would have been would have done in the way you've engineered things. But how do you go about, you know, becoming eighty percent cheaper? Is is it just based on that egress and API API charge, or have you done something else in the storage platform to enable even further cost savings? No, it's all in the software in the storage. Um, you know the uh, the the. the Back 15 years ago, when Amazon designed their storage, uh, things like egress actually was expensive. You know, bandwidth was expensive, but we're we're paying one tenth of what we paid for bandwidth just four years ago. Yeah. So you know, the cost of bandwidth, and Amazon charges it because they can get away with it. It's not that it costs them fifty dollars yeah. terabyte to egress. It probably costs them a dollar. You know, they're just making a lot of money off it and they use it as a way to lock in customers. They're used to, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's, in, that's interesting. Technology. But yeah. our advantage really is that, uh, you know, we started with a clean slate and uh, we're using, uh, you know, techniques that, that uh, have much more efficient use of disk space than, than Amazon's architecture. Yeah. And the problem is the, the their infrastructure is so large today that to retrofit that to use a more modern architecture like we have which uses yeah. more compute and more mathematical algorithms for how to do things like how to organize the data on disk to minimize headwear and extend the life of the drives and and, yeah. and how to use uh, erasure coding more effectively to reduce the number of physical bits that it takes to store one one uh, bit of customer data those sort of things uh, you know, are, are what give us the big cost advantages. That's that's your advantage, yeah. And, and you're, you're right because, I mean, AWS is Amazon. You, you got to remember that as well. And people kind of forget that Amazon is is just a conglomerate and it's all about the profits, right? And, um, you know, they're, they're a big hairy beast. I, I feel like you definitely don't feel us. There's, there's no sense of care or love. And even I know that in business, you know, love is is is, you know, not really the right word, but you know what I mean? So... 
you know, I feel like there's just no care factor. A lot of people get sucked into, into those platforms. I'm not, not at all trying to bash Amazon AWS. I love what they've done for cloud computing. I love what they do in the world. I'm, I'm an Amazon prime member. So, you know, I get all the benefits of that. Um, but I think you're right in that they, they can kind of do what they want and people just kind of take it, um, which is why I think you guys have had tremendous success. Why, you know, you've got 43,000 customers today, 13,000 channel partners from what I see, you know, that's success and that's proven um, your mission statement there. Um, just moving into a little bit of just, I want to just pivot to a bit of data, like where it's going and, and, and where you see the future. Because obviously you've really talked about the tremendous growth and, and the, the addressable market that's there. But where do you see the state of data today, um, just in general? I know that's a pretty open question, but just in general, where is data sitting today, 2022, heading into you know, the middle of the decade into 2030? Well, I think people have to change their mindset about data. So, you know, Data used to be like um, a, 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 the, the mindset was sort of scarcity, right? I can remember not so long ago when my IT guy would come running down the hall and yelling at me because my mailbox was too big. You know, I'd <laughs> yep. gone over my 200 megabyte limit or something like that. And that's the scarcity mindset. Nowadays, people are regretting all the data that they deleted because they have all these AI algorithms and machine learning and so forth that if they still had that old data, they could be using it to gain insights as to how to run their business better. Yep. And so people are now saying, you know, if the cost of data storage were, went to zero, everybody would keep everything forever. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, the kind of the asymptote. And we're not at zero and we'll never be at zero, but certainly the, you know, when you see the cost going from $23 to $6, a lot of people stop worrying about it. You, know, yes. you don't hear about people coming and complaining because your mailbox is too big today. And, uh, and I think that's the, the change is that people are gonna start to look at data and they're gonna say, you know, rather than obsessing over the fact that we're storing, we, maybe we're storing more data than we need to store, it's not worth worrying about today because every year people come up with new ways to use that data. And if we throw it away, Next year, we're going to regret it. Yep. You know, yeah. we're working with some hospitals in the UK, for example, who are finding ways to detect cancers earlier than they could before by using AIs. And they're training those AIs over 10 years of stored x-rays. And if they didn't have those x-rays, if someone said, oh, well, that patient is dead, so we might as well throw away all of his, all of his medical records. If they didn't have that stuff, they wouldn't be able to do the work that they're doing today. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think that's the change in the way people are looking at data. They're looking at it from scarcity and they need to look at it from an abundance. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we, we call it like activation of data. So making sure that your data just isn't sitting there and doing nothing. You've got to make it work for you. Um, and people were reluctant to do that because, well, number one, from the majority of data, like you said, half the world data could be backup data, just was there as an insurance policy. But even now, that data, even when it's backed up, is being able to be to be leveraged and used in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. But even further than that, people can just store their data cheaper for longer, almost for forever, 
and get into the use cases that you're talking about there, which um, are all quite amazing. So I love the way that you talk about that because it is true. In fact, and I, I think about today, I was backing up my, my iPhone photos today to Google and I was looking at my Google Drive there and um, I had 100 gigs on there. And I was thinking, oh, when did I pay for the $1.50 for the 100 gigs, <laughs> you know, on there? And, and then I was like, I'm going to run out. Oh, okay, I'll just go to, to like $2.49 to go to 200 gigs. You, you know what I mean? Where else? Yeah. I, know, I know that 10 years ago, I would have balked at going to uh, 100 gigs of data for absolute, absolutely yeah. sure. And now I just kind of go, you know what? It's a minimal cost. It's so much data. I'll just leverage it. Well, you remember you know, when cell phones first came out, you got charged by the minute. Yep. If you talked for a minute, you got charged for a minute and you used to get charged for every text message. And now it's all you can eat. And when once that happened, the way people treated those phones and the way they thought about things like text messaging, you don't think about the usage of them anymore. Absolutely not. There. That's the way I think people will have to start feeling about data as yep. well. And I think it's happening and you guys are definitely leading the way there. And, you know, the more that you get out there and, and get recognized for that, you're going to absolutely um, succeed on that. Let's, let's, let's pivot to um, partnerships. And I wanted to talk about this because the one thing that I've seen, you know, you, your, your company do is partner with, with a lot of different um, entities, different vendors in, in a lot of different spaces. So what, what's your, um, what's your theory around that? So, you know, obviously You've got certain like backup vendors, no-brainer. Um, obviously, I work for one of your one of your great partners in Veeam, but you've also got other partners out there, the Rubrics of the world, and whatnot. But also, I see other companies like like cloud storage companies that are that, that are offering sort of like more advanced storage on top of your storage. It's a very wide and varied amount of partnerships. So, what's your strategy to that? And number two, how do you deal with the competitive aspect of that sometimes and being being sort of friends to everybody? Yeah, so I mean, we're just like a giant disk drive in the sky, you know, and nobody has any concerns about, you know, buying a Dell server, you know, because someone else is buying a Dell server it doesn't make anybody else feel like, oh, I'm not going to buy a Dell server because my competitor bought a Dell server. So, you know, we just try to be partners with everybody whose products generate data. Amazon's very different, right? They 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 compete with everybody. I remember sitting at my trade show booth at a at a, uh, uh, a, media and, a media and entertainment show in Las Vegas. And an, an executive from one of the big movie studios came up to me and said, we'd love to store our data in Wasabi because right now we're storing it in Amazon. They make movies and they make TV shows in direct competition with us. Why would I want to give those guys a nickel? Yeah. And they compete with everybody, right? Their whole business model is disintermediate the middleman get rid of those guys and absolutely direct to the consumer yeah. and compete in every market. You know, they'll sell you house brand dog food and batteries. They'll sell you content delivery networks, backup solutions. So if I'm a, back, a backup vendor, like a Veeam or a Convolt or a Veritas, and, and I need to sell my backup software, plus I need to place, sell something to store the backups in, why would I want to send them to Amazon? Because Amazon's got their own backup software. And if the Amazon salesperson is on the ball, he's going to say, oh, you don't need that, you know, that Veeam software. You don't need that, that uh, Commvault software. Use ours. And yeah. in fact, we'll make a deal where we'll bundle our backup software with our storage and give you a nice discount. Yeah. And so 
you know, they're the antithesis of us. We're like, okay, we're just vanilla storage. We're generic vanilla storage. And I don't care whether you are making a surveillance system or a, a weather satellite or backing up somebody's data, you know, we're there to back up your storage and we're not going to compete. So I think the, the uh, you know, we have almost every major backup company in the world, for example, partnering with, with Wasabi. And the only difference between the way they used to do it and the way they do it now is in the old days, they would sell Veritas plus maybe a Dell storage server or an yes. HD storage server. And Veeam would sell Veeam plus a Dell server or an HP server. And now they're just saying, okay, well, customers don't want to own all that equipment anymore. So let's sell them Veeam software plus Wasabi storage or Veritas software plus Wasabi storage or Combo or a, a milestone surveillance system plus Wasabi storage. So we're just there as generic storage for whatever you want. And we don't play favorites and anybody can buy storage from us. Yeah, great answer, great answer. And just like, let's finish off around, um, I know that we talked a little bit about um, your recognition and, and it, it's hard to compete in this world with um, this, the juggernauts that exist, right? If you've talked about this and, you know, how does, how does Wasabi become more recognizable as a brand, as an, as an endpoint for data storage, as, as a trusted vendor? Because I think that's a, that's a challenge that you guys have got as well. Um, you've definitely found your feet in the US. Um, I know that you're making waves in EMEA with these with these expansion and, and the way that you're expanding your reach as well. Um, in APJ, you're, you're, you're kicking off, you're starting with the regions that you've gone. But how do you go about, you know, getting that credibility and that recognition that I think you guys should have, but obviously because you're not AWS or Azure or Google, you kind of by default don't have. So how do you be the best? How do you be the best of the rest? Well, that's marketing. And uh, a lot of tech executives don't understand the value of marketing and building a brand. Um, you know, if you, if you look at some of the great brands in the world, like Nike and so uh, Coca-Cola and so forth, they stand for something. And I want the Wasabi brand to stand for always the lowest price, best value in cloud storage. And, uh, and that takes money. That's why we've raised $275 million. That's why if you turn on the TV, you're going to see the Wasabi banner on the Liverpool football club. So, you know, Liverpool versus Manchester United, and there's the Wasabi banners. Or if you turn on the Boston Red Sox uh, for uh, hopefully a World Series game, you know, you <laughs> may, you'll see the Dell banner and then you'll see right next to it will be the Wasabi banner. Yeah. Um, that's why we do all these goofy um, uh, videos. I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. They're great. Me, you know? and so you don't want to just throw money at it. You have to be good at marketing. And, uh, you know, at Carbonite, we had 11 times the brand recognition of any other backup consumer backup company by the time I left. And that's, that's the effective marketing. And part of it is having a really good message that people are interested in, in conveying, like the, the no egress fees, for example, that gets a lot of coverage. Uh, part of it is the fact that we have, you know, a lot of money coming into the company. So that gets us credibility. We get a lot of customers. So it's just being really good at marketing and building your brand. When you get a really big name customer, you leverage that in the press. Uh, you know, it's yeah. doing interviews like this. And, and for me, um, you know, when I reorganized the company most recently, I put most of the company 
company's business under Marty Falero, who's the chief operating officer. Yep. And the only things I kept for myself was finance and marketing. There you go. And, you know, finance, because, you know, I got to raise the money to keep the lights <laughs> on and marketing because I love it. You, you remind me of a, of a person that I know who might've started a, a, a backup company um, and out of Columbus, Ohio and, and called Veeam. So you've got similar um, values to, to Ratmir Timoshe, um, I feel anyway, just, just speaking to you there about marketing and whatnot. So that's quite interesting. So there's a good synergy there and, and no doubt you're going to be as successful. I mean, it's already proven that. So we've only got three minutes left. I think I just want to finish off by asking the final question um, around future innovation and disruption. I mean, what are you guys planning? And in, in a minute or less, what's next for Wasabi from the point of view of innovation and disruption? Uh, well, I think, you know, the sort of the, the big long-term trend is the, the, the internet is going to move to the edges of the network. So compute is going to be closer to the customers, Storage is going to be closer to the customers, and um, you know, and and all of the devices that are connected to the internet with 5G and so forth. Um, you know, if I'm a, a doctor at Mass General and I go in and visit, he takes an X-ray. The only person who's going to look at that X-ray is probably the doctor sitting right there in the hospital. There's no need to send that X-ray halfway across the country to be stored, you know, in a data center in in Texas or something like that. Yeah. So you know, it makes sense to be able to move the data closer to the customer. And that means being able to have smaller, more nimble data centers. So right now, you know, the Wasabi data centers are big and hulking and yeah. very efficient and very low cost, but you couldn't put one out in a little secondary market. It just wouldn't make sense, Yeah. you know? And uh, so we need to figure out ways to make the data centers smaller and, and scale them down, not scale them up. We want to scale them down Brilliant. so that I can put a data center right down the street from you and fill it up. You know, Excellent. if I put one of our big data centers in Perth right now, it would take quite a long time to fill yeah. it up. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds brilliant. Well, look, I, I, we could have talked for, we really could have talked for another 20, 30, 40 minutes, I reckon. We've got one minute left on, on the counter here. So I'm going to wrap it up. But, you know, it, this has been a great conversation. I really love the philosophy. I love what you guys have set out to achieve, what you have achieved. And I'm sure you guys are going to continue to grow success and just, um, you know, grow in this world of storage and, and start to dominate. So I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, thanks, David. And thank you, everyone. If you would like to find more about great things with great tech, please subscribe at jtwjt.com. Find me at Anthony Spiteri or at JTWGT podcast as well. And with that, I'd like to thank David and Wasabi. And we will see you next time on Great Things with Great Tech. 